Hey, Elliot. Hey, Brian. What's the talk of the table? Today, we are joined by Joaquin Saavedra, a.k.a. Wax, along with Dil Briones. Together, they are the team behind Gubat Banwa, the award-winning role-playing game of war, drama, and martial arts tactics set in a mythic, classical Southeast Asia. Wax is a writer of speculative fiction novels and tabletop games. In addition to his own work, Wax helped write and research the acclaimed Islands of Sina Una. Dil is an illustrator and art director known for his work on Karangun and Gubat Banwa. The new edition of Gubat Banwa is headed to Kickstarter on October 10th, so we thought it was the perfect time to talk to the team behind this epic game. Wax and Dill, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, hello. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. Thanks for having us, yeah. Thanks for being here. So we uh, kind of caught wind of, of Gubat Banwa on Twitter when we came across the, the Kickstarter pre-save link not too long ago, and we were very much like peaked with the immediate sense of like style that this game had, especially in like those first images that we saw, there was just like so much coming at you. And honestly, the the line violence until glory will kind of stop anyone in their tracks. But as we kind of looked into it, I really loved seeing all of the, it's rare that I've seen such a mix of like role-playing, but also like very tactical stuff. So I want to get into all of that. But to start, can you give us, uh, what is the log line? Like what is Gubat Banwa in a nutshell? Right, so the name itself actually kind of gives it away. If you if you speak the language, if you speak Bisaya, it kind of if it kind of means like warring realms, warring states, or battle realms. Gubat means like war, and Banwa means like realm or land. That's sort of the logline. That's the that's the main thing about Gubat Banwa. It's a it's a it's a game of war stories of war drama, as we like to say. Because there's a lot of of interesting narratives and and stories that arise from conflicts and and ritual violences between cultures, between communities, between families. That is not uncommon here uh, in the Philippines and even in the history of Southeast Asia. So we really wanted to focus in on that. And uh, at first, it was kind of a an excuse for me to justify making such a violence-focused game. But eventually, it did turn out to be like a major philosophical guideline for how we reckon with the cultures of our past, with our histories that are gone now to us, and with the modern sort of problems we, we also have to deal with related to like culture and history and tradition over here in the Philippines, at least. But yeah, it's a it's a tactic tactical war drama game. At first, I pitched it to Dylan as uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, but in Southeast Asia. That's a good pitch. Yeah, and and he really liked that. And I was like, uh, it, it it arose because I read that the main form of warring in Southeast Asia, at least in maritime Southeast Asia, was uh, sea raiding, like yeah. raiding in the sea. Um, so it kind of makes sense that you had like six people fighting against six people kind of thing. And that's usually what it looked like in in like FFT, right? Or in Tactics Ogre and stuff like that. And we're both big fans of, of Final Fantasy yeah, Tactics. That was, that was basically the pitch. Wax was like, hey, you want to make this? And I'm like, can we? And then, <laughs> can we though? And then, like, you know, it was very intriguing. It's like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then I remember a point like, because we were in the middle of like our collaboration on Karandoon. And then I was just finishing up like the work I did. And then Wax was like, 
Hey, Dil, um, is Gubat Banwa grammatically correct? And I'm like, yeah, why? Then came the pitch, and here we are three <laughs> years later. The, the coolest collaborations start with an obscure question from one friend to another, I think, <laughs> often. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it feels about right. So Gubat Banwa is the name of the game, but it's also the name of the setting, the setting for which you guys won an Indie Groundbreaker Award uh, for Best Setting. So I'd love to hear about... Like within Gubat Banwa, the game, what is Gubat Banwa, the setting? Right. Um, it's also called Gubat Banwa. Like a real quick primer about the game is that there are like three major realms that are also subdivided. Um, so for example, the the sky world has a place called uh, Hangin Banwa, which kind of just means the wind. Air. The realms of wind. Yeah, realm wind, a wind realm or air realm, stuff like that. So uh, it's kind of also inspired by like Buddhist cosmology. So basically there is the sky world and then there's the earth world, which includes the earth itself as well as like hell, right? Like underworld. And then in the middle of it all is the realm of mortals. And that is the realm called Gubat Banwa. It's the realm of fighting, of combat, of violence. It's a sort of metaphor for how life is a struggle, right? Life is a struggle. Life is... Uh, life is conflict. Life is, uh, you know, to 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 strive is is a violence in and of itself. So that's that's the name of like the mortal realms. Um, if if we if we had to speak in like D and D speak, it would be like the material yeah. world in like uh, in like Faerun or something. I'm actually interested. This leads well into the next question because you mentioned D and D. So a big reason that this game caught our interest and stands out among, you know, fantasy role-playing games is that it is set in a mythical Southeast Asia. And so I'm wondering when you first came to this idea, you first came to the creation of it, were you thinking of it partially as a response to Western fantasy or was it an act of creation and celebration all its own or is the answer somewhere in between those? On my end, when I made it, it's, it's both of those things, actually. One, I've, I've never, I've never been sort of like really into like Western fantasy aesthetics. Uh, I was really into like Japanese, Chinese and Indian kind of aesthetics. So when I started doing my research on Southeast Asian stuff, uh, which does include like the Philippines all the way to like Myanmar, right? And and Cambodia, you know, it's it sort of like, you know, falling in love with heritage, with cultures that, you know, you've lived through. So it was at first just like a response, like there, there has to be more than just this, right? And then eventually it, it grew into an act, active appreciation and celebration of, of, our, of our stories, basically. And that's why we, I, I very often describe Gubat Banwa as, as a feast, right? It's, um, it's a glorious mm. feast that everyone is invited to because it is a celebration. And, you know, sometimes feasts can be messy, but that's the fun part of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like to dial it back a bit, like in the timeline. Um, originally, Wax had a different name for the setting. They did, and then like he pitched it as like this is a more like my culture, the Visayan. It's like I'm from the Central Philippines, and mm-hmm. we have a different culture. So I'm like, we have different cultures in the Philippines, and then he's like, why why don't we do something like this? I'm like, okay, but then it went past just representations of certain cultures to connect the Philippines to the rest of Southeast Asia because, yeah. like, these are very arbitrary lines mm-hmm. and 
our cultures, like all the way down to Indonesia and, and mainland Southeast Asia, we were very much interconnected. Yeah. It's not often that we get to celebrate the diversity of Philippine culture. And what's more like, it's not often that we celebrate the Philippines like in relation to the rest of Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. So that was like a big, that was a big drive for us, you know. I do really love the description of it as a feast because especially like just from a purely amount of text, like this is a, currently the, the PDF we were looking at is a 667 page PDF. So I mean like just on that merit alone, it is a feast of words and of picture. It's a menagerie of everything. So as, as we were looking through it, there's just like so much to look through and so much fun stuff. I, I'm curious if you could pull out a, a couple of like big items that you think would be interesting to people who aren't within the Filipino culture that looking at this game would be particularly like surprising or interesting or exciting to play. If you look at like the disciplines, like the the classes you get to play, the first thing you see is a knight riding a crocodile. That was like a, that was kind of a statement. Yeah. <laughs> like for the most part, but like, um, I think early on in the development of Gubat Banwa, like when I was first tasked to draw like the character classes, right? The disciplines. Um, Wax was like, hey, we have a swordfish rider. And I'm like, all right, sure, I can do that. And then when that came out, like that was basically, people remember the the guy riding the crocodile and the guy riding the swordfish. And I was like, yeah. And from there, it just gets, you know, just gets better, you know? Yeah, it, it's it's a flying swordfish too with wings. Yeah. Um, and that concept actually comes from actual like folk tales and and stories here from the Philippines and in like the Iloilo region and stuff like that. So a lot of it does come from like uh, cultures that I've collected. Um, but I guess another like cool thing people might like uh, if they're from outside Southeast Asian culture, they'll probably really like the martial bent of it, like the martial arts bent. As, as Dylan always mentions, almost everyone in the team practices a Filipino martial art. So... We we do like add a lot of martial arts stuff. Uh, I mean, Gubat Banwa itself is a, a, a martial art. It's a martial art game. Yeah. Right. Um, so I guess like people that like Wuxia stuff, right? Like yeah. or like those Hong Kong mm-hmm. Jackie Chan movies and stuff like that. Yeah. Where they have to get, when you see like the rhythm of a sword fight. And the storytelling, like something like Hero, right? Yeah. Like when you have like Jet Li and Donnie Yen like fighting in the rain. Yes. Or like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon stuff. Uh, where, you know, like the sword fights is the storytelling. Yeah. If people like that kind of, you know, usage of, of violence, right? They will definitely like uh, Gubat Banwa because uh, we're, we're very like kind of very nuanced when it comes to the depiction of violence in, in the game. And and of course, like we always go back to like what started this conversation was our mutual love for like Final Fantasy tactics. Yeah. And how, you know, how even in a battlefield you have all these conflicting like like factions and yeah. these conflicting agendas and these motivations for these warriors to like fight and how that entangles like like people change allegiances. Yeah. And like what what that does to personal relationships. And that's all very interesting mm-hmm. stuff that we also go back to. Yeah. And it's all, and it's still at the forefront of Gubadwano until now. Yeah. We've managed to like keep that focus too. The main sort of like 
image we had in mind, I had in mind while I was writing the mechanics was the the sudden mid-fight dialogue in Final Fantasy Tactics. You know? Yeah. They'd say shit like, oh, Argath, you, you unrighteous cur. And yeah. then they'd get angrier and then the fight gets cooler. Right? It's, it's stuff like that. <laughs> I, I do really want to talk about the mechanics of this game because as we're reading through, there's so many cool, like, little things that got me excited about it, especially getting something that is so tactical because I feel like so there, there are more games that we're talking about, at least on this show and, and on our other show, that kind of move away from, like, the very tactical nature of, like, combat. This one just, like, dives into battle tactics, which I love and was really excited to read. Just uh, real quick, before before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of, of some of this stuff, can you give us just a quick download on, like, the core mechanic for this game? Like, what is the core dice mechanic? Right. The core dice mechanic for Gubat Banwa uh, is called Divine the Will of the Ancestors. Uh, and it's inspired by the fact that ancient soothsayers in, in the Bisaya region of, of the Philippines would cast crocodile teeth or boar tusks to divine the omens for a particular activity or ritual. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool, you know? Like, why D10s kind of look like teeth. Like crocodiles yeah, teeth. Yeah, <laughs> crocodiles teeth. Yeah. So um, that's the main reason why the core mechanic or, or the core, like, dice mechanic of Gubat Banwa is you, the player, rolls a number of D10s equal to their stat, like their action rating. And then they have to find out the difficulty as it follows from the fiction and then that has a numerical rating from there. And you uh, you roll that many D8s. And then you roll them both together. And then you look uh, you look for six pluses on both D10s and D8s, right? Every six plus on a D10 is a hit. And every six plus on the D8s are uh, failures. And then you cancel out hits and failures. And then you see if there are... If there are still hits left, that's a complete success. If it's if there are no hits left, that's a that's a partial success. If there are failures only left, then that's a full failure. And then uh, a lot of the game's mechanics revolve around the interesting consequences and the interesting uh, complications that can arise from the fiction moving forward because of that. I was um, especially struck by you know Brian was just talking about like. The tactics is the first thing that sort of pulls you in about these mechanics. But yet you guys have also put in some like really, really neat intentional story forward mechanics within these tactics, which I love. Like I there's the action you can do in in a round of uh, combat or a resound of combat. Apologies. Um, that is hearten, which is the equivalent to like a help action in other game. And what I loved about this, this is that it's like if you succeed in helping them you they they now have debt to you but if you fail it the game tells you that they have to answer the question of how they feel about your help not helping so can you talk a little bit about bringing in these also really story forward mechanics within these tactics right yeah um we 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 touched upon it uh earlier uh the fact that we love the you know the dialogue in mid fight um events right and in final fantasy tactics and tactics ogre uh, and we sort of sought to emulate that kind of feel in our in our mechanics. So a lot of the time, a lot of the a lot of the mechanics 
think in sort of not like story first way, but like in a fiction first kind of way. And and a lot of the mechanics there also kind of ask the player what their character feels about the situation because uh, that's a sort of um, a GMing hack that I've been able to that I've been able to um, learn recently is if something happens, you ask the player what their characters feel about it or, or how they react to it, and they, they that almost always like you know helps them dive deeper into their character and you really need to prompt people to do that and eventually they'll start doing it on their own yeah uh, it's just super that's where the fun you know really happens so a lot of the mechanics emulate that it, it, it focuses on the feelings of the characters and how they are reacting to the world yeah if the violence isn't personal in the beginning it will be yeah <laughs> right exactly right. <laughs> uh, uh, if there's violence there's always a reason for it right so yeah, I really the when I first read the Harton mechanic, the idea of like giving someone you know quote unquote like a help action and then getting debt from that, I thought that was such a great idea. Like I really loved that when I first started, it. mostly because uh, I a just as like a game designer, I think it's super cool mechanically. But as a game master, I'm like thinking how much fun a table will have with that. Right, um, something that is in D and D like a help mechanic is like so ubiquitous. You're doing it all the time. But then you're adding this extra layer to it that all of a sudden gives that mechanic weight and depth and stakes. I really loved that uh, when I read it. There is something very fun about combat in this game as well. And you're talking about like the the the, the, the mid battle dialogue, the mid battle like chatting with your with your opponent. There is something very musical and kind of like. I guess musical about combat in this game, even just from like the words used to describe combat, just like, you know, the turn order is the rhythm. The rounds are not rounds, they're resounds as in the resounding of a gong. You have, you know, your turn is a riff. Your your riff is made of three beats. Like everything is very musical and this kind of, it, even just having those words on the page gives you this feel of much more of like a dance or a song to to this that makes a combat feel already more cinematic and interesting because you're thinking of it in these very like musical terms rather than I'm going to punch your hit points, you're going to punch my hit points, and we're going to see who punches the other's hit points faster. Uh, I realize I don't have a question for that. I just liked it. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. <laughs> yeah, we're glad you like it. It's, it, was, it was, that's actually kind of a point of contention because I know a lot of people kind of get ruffled because... A lot of them just say, "Why don't you just call it rounds? Why do you call it turns? It's you know, it's harder for us to like adapt to the terminology." Um, and uh, honestly, like that's valid, obviously. Um, but I think there are some things that you have to stick to your guns to when it comes to design. And one of the main things is that I didn't want combat to to sound like like a like a chess game, right? Or mm. I didn't want it to sound like a, a military engagement. I wanted yeah. it to sound like um, a war dance, and yeah. in 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 our pre-colonial uh, traditions, that's very commonly done with the gong, the agung, which is where gong comes from anyway. Yeah. Agung. They brought those things into battle. And yeah, so- they brought agung into battle. They would play that. They're like war drums, right? They would play that dang 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 dang, and then they would fight to the to the beat. Um, so that's the main sort of reason. Uh, why we put it in there, you know, most of the mecha- most of the mechanics are there because 
they they come from a a, a very Southeast Asian tradition yeah. that we wanted to highlight right in in the game with the game. And people appreciate tend to appreciate that like oh yeah. okay once they get it they re- they really get into the rhythm of the play. Yeah. Like with no pun intended but yeah, they get really into it. <laughs> I, I, and I think it's definitely the right call because like when because I, I, I understand why someone might whenever you see like new words for things that you are familiar with, like why don't you just call it around? I get it on some level. But when you start adapting to the game, you start understanding and like getting into the game itself. Like just by saying, oh, it's it's this resound, you're already putting yourself into the game, you're putting yourself into that musical headspace. So that you are more likely to do, you're more likely to um, accomplish what the game is trying to get you to accomplish, to, to think of battle and combat this way, to think of role playing this way, rather than, you know, oh, this is D&D, but with a Southeast Asian bent. It's not. This is a, its own thing, and it needs its own vocabulary to express itself. And, and I feel like it helps with immersion. It, like, I feel like that's the word that's coming to mind for me, is that, like, speaking with this vocabulary is leads to that immersion into this world that you've created. And I think that, you know, if there's one thing that's like a real through line in this is that you guys have been very intentional about vocabulary throughout the game, the use of of how you're describing terms and then especially within this combat. And I think that right away it creates this immersion into, I loved this historical battle you described if they would actually pull the gong out and be hitting it like a war drum. That it, you get that immersion by using these terms, or it's like at least makes that immersion much easier. I like that I said a whole long thing, and you said the word immersion, and I realized that's the only word I needed to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was just right. dancing around a word until I found it, and I never did. It's all good. That's why we co-host. <laughs> exactly. <there> um, <laughs> so the other piece of the tactical element that, uh, before we move away from mechanics, uh, is that this is a a, a grid battle, um, and there's this thing that uh, caught, I know Brian and um, and myself, is that you're kind of collaboratively building the battlefield oh, um, as, like a, a, as a table. Um, can you talk a little bit about like the grid battle aspect of the of combat in this game? Right, yeah. So um, as we've said, we love Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, specifically, we love how it, they look like dioramas. Um, I know like the design, the developer of... FFT has come out to say that he was he really liked dioramas when he was a kid or something. So I re- we really like that sort of aesthetic. The grid, the battlefield, the grid battlefield is important because, um, you know, other than other than coming from the strain of tactical RPGs like uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fourth Edition, it's also a way to sort of have like really minute positioning mechanics and stuff like that, which is always really fun if, if the people are, are bought into it. Um, the grid has... Uh, the grid... Let, you can move, like, diagonally in this game, like, normally. Um, and I know, like, <laughs> that's that's a thing in a lot of, like, tactics games. That, oh, so diagonal should be two points of movement or diagonal should be one, two, one, stuff like that. We just went with one because the sort of... Movement that you see in FMA is very triangular. It's very weird angles. And also being able to move in eight directions and being able to attack in eight directions is is pretty important because the, the eight direction thing is important in Southeast Asian religions. The number eight is important in... It's a sort of repeating number in Filipino folk epics. 
So that's why we went with a square grid instead of a hex grid. Mm. Uh, even though I feel like my life would be a lot easier if it was a hex grid. Um, and yeah, the collaborative battlefield building aspect is because when I was when I was writing the game, I I'm not particularly a fan of the sort of power dynamic that comes with putting one person as the dungeon master and then everyone else as the player. I wanted the Umalagad, which is the name of uh, of the game master in this game, Umalagad which means a uh, guardian spirit or ancestor spirit. I wanted the Umalagad to feel like they're a player as well. Uh, I want them to have fun as well uh, because be, playing an Umalagad is just a different role, right? It's still a, it's still a role that you play. Um, so sometimes we do a lot of, of mechanics to offload a lot of the effort that Umalagad has to do so that they can have their fun. Um, so sometimes when you arrive at a, at the combat scene and the the one running the game is like oh i haven't prepared for this right or i haven't prepared um, a map for this and stuff like that we we put in the mechanic that oh everyone in the table can add a little thing to the battlefield that follows the fiction so that the the onus isn't always on the Omelaga to pre-prepare maps all the time. Uh, in this way, you can do like improv- improvisational grid combat, which is something very hard to do in other like grid games. So yeah, that's like the main reason uh, why we did that. We, I actually stole that idea from uh, Ryutama, which is a Japanese role-playing game. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When you when you start your fight there, you you define like three traits about the fight. Uh, which I really loved. That was really fun. So I put that in, in Gubat Bano as well. Um, and it, it usually ends up doing uh, pretty well. Uh, everyone can imagine the battlefield a little bit better. Yeah, they feel like they have a stake in it as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. They have a it's stake not in just it. like, it's not just the, like say a game master like dictating. So the relationship the player has with the battlefield like actually changes. It's less antagonistic in a way. Yeah. Mm. Like you're not fighting against the game master like you're actually like okay i want the fight to have something like this and then like it like wax said it offloads a lot of the work but it also like adds to the whole collaborative um nature of the thing yeah and finally i guess it's important to note like in the sort of uh design principles of gubat banwa we well i laid out that there are three major pillars of combat in almost every tactical combat game and that's the player characters the enemies and the battlefield so all three of those parameters you want them to be like really high up when it comes to like uh like their complexity and stuff like that so that's why the battlefield we have a lot of uh, of mechanics for weather for terrain like we have two different water types just yeah. to just to you know uh, enforce that idea of naturalistic uh, fighting and then the, the one of the most important parts of the battlefield in Gubat Banwa is the elevations which is like shifting elevations very important in Gubat Banwa because uh, if you attack from a higher elevation you get more dice but if you attack from a lower elevation you get less dice and that really helps feed into the positioning mechanics of the game as well as it just it just harkens back to when we were kids and we'd be playing on the hilly hills of, of the Philippines with sticks and rocks and or any on a, or on a beach or on a know, beach exactly and anyone who was like anyone who was like on a higher ground they they did have advantage and you didn't know what to do <laughs> um, and it was you know so yeah it, it is nice to finally have um, 
like jump be a stat that I care about. Right. I feel like in every other game, jump is just like a thing that comes up every now and then. This it's like this is important tactically. How how high can you jump? It's going to depend. I love that this like this collaborative battlefield building. It feels like it removes. It's just like removing a barrier that exists in a lot of like you know tactical combat games where you know or, or I guess at D anD D where you enter a combat scenario and you have to say like oh, can I get a lay of the land? You know, like you're taking up time to like get the information from the dungeon master of like what the lay of the land is. Are there obstacles you can hide behind? Are there things you can move? And this this game, it's like, oh no, you're you're right there. Like we're just, we're moving. I, I haven't had a chance to play this game yet, but it feels like combat would just feel like this like frenetic like movement um, inspired much by martial arts. And so that's super exciting. I love that. The 80s are over, and you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you, and you got touched by the weird, and it made you wild, and it made you powerful. This is the world of The Lost Bay, a suburban gothic RPG. A fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter, featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com. I I also really love that We've been playing more GMless games on my on our other show, My First Dungeon, and we've been talking about them on on this show. And because of playing GMless games, I've gotten it in my head more of like having collaborative aspects in games where it's like you know you walk into a tavern and you turn to one of your players and go, "Who do you know here?" Or like you kind of allow them to act as a game master. You allow them the act of creation within the game. Yeah, exactly. For whatever reason. I had I but until I read uh, Gubat Banwa, I had never seen nor actually even thought of. Hey, you could do the same thing with combat. Of like, hey, what does the battlefield look like? What is the weather? What is the like? It just truly hadn't crossed my mind. Uh, and the second I read that, I was like, of course you can do that. And then, <laughs> like, it's an excellent idea. So I really love that stretching that collaborative nature past just role play, where I think. That to me is is like almost a ubiquity now, but in combat it very much was not. So I'm excited to even in other games, uh, like start adding that in as just like a thing in kind of the you know your GM's uh, toolkit. The the one last I don't actually know if I have a question, but I really love um, uh, when we were reading through the mechanics of this game. Uh, I came across Thunderbolts, which is kind of like an in game you know uh, like a meta currency you can spend as a player to add. So, so for instance, uh, thunderbolts are. Per- I'm just reading from the from the document. You can spend one thunderbolt to gain plus one hit or plus one parry. Spend one to re-roll any roll, and then as you spend higher numbers, you could do like more stuff. Stirring your riff and violence, you could gain plus one beat. 
I really love the idea of having this kind of meta currency that you can earn and then spend and like make your turns more epic. I guess I'm curious, where did that, in the design process, was that a thing you guys wanted in from the beginning? Or was that something that came out as you were like play testing of having this additional way to make your your riffs in violence even more uh, interesting and epic? Mechanically speaking, I guess it's just be quick, but we, we've always had the mechanic for when you describe your attack, your movement, your defenses in a really cool way, you get uh, you get extra stuff for it. The Thunderbolt is the most recent and uh, the best sort of implementation of that mechanic. Uh, it sort of arose from like, because I'm like an Exalted fan. I don't know if you know Exalted. Exalted has like a stunting system, but this one is, uh, this one is you know, you, you get Thunderbolts and you can spend it at any time. It's, it was there at first because we wanted people to, dis- to to really get into the fiction of their fighting styles, of their of how they're moving around, um, and, and it's been pretty it's been pretty um, effective. So if someone does like a normal move action, right, which is called a rush in this game, when they rush, they don't they uh, very often unless it's like late into the fight and they have enough thunderbolts already, very often they. They don't just go, okay, I go one, two, three, four, I have a speed of four. They don't get, go like that. They describe themselves vaulting over vines, uh, stepping across the winds, right? Um, they say things. Yeah, they say things. They ride on their dragon companions and shit yeah. like that, right? Um, which is super cool already. And then getting to spend Thunderbolt is because very often when I see people um, describing their characters in that way, they get this sort of momentum to do even cooler and cooler and cooler shit every time it's their turn, um, which I think is good. Like they're reveling in the role playing experience. And then recently, like a lot of players that I've had would be like, "Oh, can I can I change the weather? Uh, by the, can I describe this? Can I say that it, it, a thunderstorm happens?" I love that. And like, I, I always go, "Yes, of course. That's that's <laughs> fucking cool." Because uh, they can, they catch the lightning and they use it as their sword. Like shit, they say shit like that. That's super cool. And so I sort of went like, hey, um, those are, you know, changing the weather, changing the terrain, getting more stuff to do during your riff, getting stronger during your riff. Those are like pretty important things in the in the combat of this game. Why don't we make it so that, you know, they can manipulate it. They can, they can actually, it, it, it hooks onto the mechanics of the game. So that's where the main thing of the of Thunderbolts came in. And additionally, I guess the more pragmatic reason for why, or practical reason why Thunderbolts are in the game is because a lot of the math is actually skewed against the Kadunganan, against the player characters, uh, because only the player characters have access to Thunderbolts and some special, like, really powerful enemies and stuff like that, right? So the enemies all have, like, really high stats to offset the player characters having supreme versatility with all their options, as well as, um, you know, having more health generally. And also because they have access to Thunderbolts. So if they want to survive, if they want to not die in this game, they have to do cool shit. You have to get into it. They have to get into it. Or else, the math (laughs) of the game is inherently written against Katungan. You have no choice. You have to be extra. (laughs) So you have to be like an extra motherfucker. So, yeah. I I really love a mechanic that like forces you into role and also like rewards you for trying things. And I, I love mechanics that reward failure or reward just like 
action, re- reward cool stuff, reward trying cool stuff, and reward like just being a badass, you know, yeah. badass character. Hell yeah. Um, I love what she said also about momentum. I feel like it, it, it like I can, I can feel how that would play in combat. Like you're gradually accruing thunderbolts by being cool, and then by the time you have a bunch of thunderbolts in your later rounds, you're being even cooler, and you're creating this like ramp up of the battle which is um which is very a very cool idea i i do have a kind of a general question about mechanics because you guys said you've been working on this game for a couple of years now and obviously you've been like play testing it and playing it and having fun i'm always curious with with new games especially something as like big as this this isn't like a you know a rules light game this is a game that has a lot of mechanics and a lot of uh, a lot of things you can do i mean 667 page pdf there's a lot of stuff there i'm curious when you're introducing new players to this game, what aspects of it have you found they latch on to the most or like the quickest? You know, is there a mechanics thing that you, that you feel like has been like, I guess, what's the most successful thing you've found from this game as far as like the player experience? So far from what I've, because because this game has gone through a lot of iterations, um, <laughs> but the, the oh, few man. things that sort of stuck around is... Yeah, the the Thunderbolt mechanic, people really like that because it also serves as a way to bridge narrative or, or like drama mode with violence mode because the, the Thunderbolts you get from being a dramatic bitch in <laughs> drama mode carries over to violence, yeah. Yeah. right? And the, and, the, and the violent things you do in violence mode carries over to drama. So it feeds into each other. Uh, so that's that's been a real winner. I find that when people create their character and, you know, it's all good, right? Like they see all these like cultures and stuff that they can be. And then they get to the part where they have to roll a complication. So that's the one that's been there in the game for, for literally since day one. Yeah. And it, and the complication you roll is usually like a built-in backstory between you and another player character. So there's always going to be some really messy, oh, this guy killed my parent or whatever but i have to fight alongside them and or this this person loves this other person but this other person doesn't love me it becomes like a like in berserk with, a, <laughs> yeah. with guts and <laughs> griffith and casca it becomes kind of like that and like i remember like people trying it for the first time like when they see that part they go oh oh <laughs> and then yeah. it, you oh, already oh no. have a built-in party dynamic by the time you're done with character creation because you have all these things like brewing under, underneath like your basic goal as these badass martial artists. Like, yeah, you already have these complications in the very beginning, yeah. and how that plays out, and how that adds to the whole, like you're this extra because of this, and then you have to, and that also like mm-hmm. adds to the whole debt thing when you you help someone, right? And then they have the role like if they have a debt, but what if they have a complication with you? Like they actually want to kill you by the time this is done. Yeah. So. <laughs> That 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 feeds to like the like as Wax like mentioned like at a point in development where the drama feeds the violence, mm-hmm. like the non-combat RP will feed into the combat and yeah. vice versa. It it leads to some very complications. You're you're right that saying complications is the main thing that's never gone away. It's the one part everyone loves. It makes character creation into a point of play, um, and also it makes it so that. Uh, sub opt quote unquote suboptimal play in tactics in the tactics combat in the tactical combat is tech would technically be optimal. So 
we've had a character before that had the complication where then they hated this other character, but this other character was their healer, right? <laughs> so they would always move away from their healer to not get healed because they really hated them. And then there is a rule in the game where if you do something dramatic, you get a thunderbolt. So <laughs> even though they won't get healing, they still get thunderbolts for doing that. So, you know, it, it feeds it to itself. It's really good. Yeah. Hearing you just say that, because so I haven't like seen I haven't watched like an actual play of this game yet. I've only read uh, a good chunk of the the book. Can you just like because you guys have played test this a bunch and you've played it a bunch? Can you just tell us like a cool story from one of the games? Like what's an epic moment that you remember from playing a session of this? Just to give us like give us like a real like nitty gritty taste of like the coolest thing you've seen happen in this game or like the most memorable thing or the most exciting thing. I'll go first. Um, this one, there's there's really a lot, so I'll go yeah. with the most recent one, um, and it's this one from a Twitch stream I did uh, with uh, Juliciel. They their characters were exes, were ex lovers. Um, they kind of hated each other. Uh, and then, but the thing was, one of the exes was a Senapati, which is the this game's version of like Warlord from Fourth Edition. Uh, and one of the basic attacks of the Senapati is they can make another guy attack, right during their turn. Um, so they're like an enabler class, right? Uh, and then the other ex was this really powerful. Uh, Baril Witch, which is a gun mage, basically. Uh, every time they shoot, they they get a gun charge. And if they get too many gun charges, they explode. Oh, hell yeah. Because bullets and guns are very volatile in this game. They're, they're explicitly like magical stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they're a chemical magical stuff. So there was one point in the final battle, uh, in the boss fight, basically, where the ex was like, you, ex-lover, shoot this man. Uh, and then if he, sh- if he had shot that enemy, they wouldn't have gone, they wouldn't have lost so much uh, HP. But then, you know, the player looked at me and went, no, I don't think I will, you know? <laughs> and then, and then, so he spent a beat to make another guy, or, or an action to make another guy attack. And then he said, no, I'm not gonna attack because I hate this guy. And I was like, okay, that's perfect. Both of you get a thunderbolt for that. Uh, but yeah, he but yeah, he does not attack. Super suboptimal choice. It could have cost them right. their life, but it was dramatic as fuck, and that's what the game is about. So I was like, oh, that's I love that. We'll do that for sure. I love I love how messy you've made this game. I love a messy I game. I love it. It's so messy. <laughs> yeah, like I remember um, one, like in a previous playtest, like the character I was playing had this complication with this other character could move. Um, basically, like, transport. They had a mount, so they could transport, like, my guy through the battlefield. Yeah, like a taxi. Yeah, like a taxi. But, like, instead of, like, like this person really hated my guy's gut. So instead of, like, um, like carrying him on the back, he, like, I, my character was literally dragged by the <laughs> like, nah. through, the, through half the battlefield. And then, you know, my, my guy had to, like, it was struggling. Because, like, it was like a... Like a dominance thing. So he didn't even react. Right. Yeah. Right. Like he wasn't going to give this person the pleasure of like, ah, I brought you here and, you know, I messed you up. It's like, all right, let's go. Like, yeah. It's perfect. It plays into a lot of the ego stuff, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, I love I love all these like really ego fueled characters trying to get along and like the drama of mid combat. It reminds me of like I know you you brought up Final Fantasy Tactics a lot, but it also feels very like anime. Like the things I love about different animes is where people are having dramatic interactions mid combat and like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. one liners and and um, things like that. Uh, so because we're kind of uh, getting getting tight on time, I'd love to move into this upcoming Kickstarter you have and sort of I have a question to lead into that for for Dill, which is, you know, the thing that struck me about this game right away is the visual style of it. That's what like really pulled me in. A, I think there's like a color palette here uh, that is really beautiful right. and and unique. And I'm curious how, sort of how you've thought about the art direction and visuals for the game. And as you go into this Kickstarter, how are the visuals being updated um, for the for the Kickstarter? Oh, that's great. That's a great question. Um, real quick, um, like before we started on Gubat Banwa, um, Wax showed me like this, this very famous work by Zedek Chu. It was, it's an OSR book, uh, Thousand Thousand Islands. It's a um, very Southeast Asian work, right? And Zedek's like Malaysian, right? Yeah, Malaysian. Yeah, it's very like, it was a lot of familiar stuff, but like reading through it, it was very understated. And then like it kind of spools out comparing that to like what we were trying to do like with the cultures we were trying to um, represent we didn't have that luxury of being subtle like um, these are very underrepresented cultures like the Philippines is not a monoculture like we're 180 languages how many islands you know so you didn't have the luxury to be subtle or clever mm-hmm. in that way so it had to be loud. It had to be really in your face. So um, Wax writes in a very particular way. Our collaboration works like this. So Wax writes something that I go, oh, wow. And then I have to draw something that melts their face off. So it becomes like a one-up friendship. <laughs> yeah. Like every time like I draw for this game or like figure out like a certain how a faction would look and do the due diligence, it has to be like I have to outdo myself each time. Because there's also the aspect of like due diligence. It's a lot of work because we can't. These are these are things that aren't really like taught in our schools. Basically, like a lot of our a lot of our education is very like focuses on the colonial period. A lot of Philippine media focuses on like the colonial period and these colonial aesthetics. That's fine. That's also in the book. But like we wanted everyone to have to see something familiar there like if they're from here or even they're from Southeast Asia and they do you know and um, again we had to be loud bombastic like yeah like here's a crocodile <laughs> here's a guy having a, a, a fun time riding a crocodile his crocodile has war paint and gold right like these aren't things we don't have a fantasy shorthand for <laughs> like admittedly right. right like I didn't that's another thing like we had to deal with like I can't just you know, um, expect people to like, like fill in the blanks. Like I have to show everything like down to the stances, down to like the effects. And then that quickly became a lot of people in the team latched onto that like direction. And now with the Kickstarter, we're also updating like the graphic design. Our graphic designer, Faye, is going to, we're going for a more, for a look that um, issues the whole insight, like, aren't like TTRPGs, almost like encyclopedias. Yeah. We want this to be more kinetic. So if you see like in the previews of the recent layouts, it's even more 
Yeah. It's even more bombastic. It's even more kinetic. Like it's basically like feeding into the, it's a coherent message of this is a very, very extra game. <laughs> this mm. is a very in your face game. <laughs> like everything, like most of the disciplines will pop out of the page. Like it's, it's coming at you, you know, and you have to figure out, you know, like it, it's a very vibe based direction. And when you get that vibe, that's when you can like latch onto it because like a lot of the names for the classes are like, aren't even, you know, these aren't things that people will hear and they will know what that is. Yeah. Right. Like we don't have paladins. Yeah. We don't have a shorthand. Right. Yeah. So I have to show you what this is and it's going to be great. And your wax is going to describe to you what this is and it's going to be great. And you're going to play this guy on a swordfish, (laughs) on a flying swordfish (laughs) or like this mecha, like blacksmith. With yeah. a Buddha statue. Yeah, yeah, all these things. So, yeah, like leading up to the Kickstarter, we're going even more in that direction. You know, we're all trying, uh, basically, we're all trying to outdo ourselves. That is a really interesting position that you're in. Uh, be, like, it, it, it's almost like a, a double-edged sword because there, there isn't a, a, a shorthand, like you're saying. So, But that also means there's not preconceived notions. So, like, you can go and, like, yes, that means you have to do, like, a lot more work on your end to, like, show everyone and, and do all this stuff. But that also means that you get to define what those things right. are. Like you get to put a guy on a crocodile and like stake your claim in that right. yeah. in a way that like if <laughs> I if I make a new game that says there's a paladin, everyone kind of already knows like, okay, paladin, he's wearing a big chunky armor and he's going to have a holy symbol or something. It's an archetype, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And without that preconceived notion, you guys can just go buck wild and, and just, you know, do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So. And we did. But also, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like a lot of, we we knew that. But we also had this responsibility to like, since these are inspired, they're not meant to represent real world cultures, but they're very much inspired by them, right? And so there were a lot of things that we had to like, I had to ask certain, like from people I knew from cultures that I don't, you know, that I'm not too familiar with. I had to like get their input on a certain thing from martial arts that I don't practice, you know. I had to talk to like certain like coaches and trainers, like what would this look like? And to make sure that at least like, you know, there is a bit of the, there's a basis for it. And that, in, that improves, like there's a verisimilitude. Like, so even if it's a fantasy, they, there's a lot of ingredients there in what we made that are basically very familiar. Like people looking through it from here will go, oh, cool. There's a lot of Easter eggs, you know. Like um, a previous podcast asked me about all the Easter eggs that I put in in the art, and like I couldn't, like you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop, I wouldn't be able to stop talking if that were the case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Basically, yeah. So the other thing that we wanted to, we're kind of curious about with the Kickstarter is obviously Brian mentioned this. You know, this is a uh, a hefty, rich, deep text that you've created, full of you know mechanics and also some really compelling fiction writing and all that as you go into this kickstarter is this going to be a 600 page book or what's your kind of goal for what this book looks like uh, at the end of this kickstarter actually the reason why it's 600 (laughs) pages right now is because i made it in a way that it's easy to read on digital devices yeah it's a pdf because it's it's just a pdf so it's like it's good for ipads it's good for uh, laptop screens and stuff uh, like scrolling that. through so, with your phone yeah or, or your phone yeah exactly your phone that's why it's single single uh, single column a5 uh what we're going for for the 
you know the final PDF is you know you know big. It's probably gonna be around. It's actually gonna be probably shorter than 600. Yeah. Because it's only 600 right now because of the current layout. Yeah, because of the current layout, it might it might cap up cap out at around 400. Yeah. Or yeah, around 400 for sure, just so that we don't go over. You know, printing funds and, yeah. and stuff like that because that's one of the things we're grappling with right now. Um, People get really shocked when they like yeah. see how big the book is, but then like six hundred pages. No, it's like, just because the half of half of those are white space, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's so much art. I mean, there's a lot exactly. of room made for, yeah, we, for great we're art. we're working on more. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we want it to look good on your coffee table. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Love it. Yeah, I can't wait to see this this become a physical book. I think it'll be I think it'll be beautiful. Are there any are there any design changes coming with the Kickstarter edition or are you guys kind of is this more about let's turn this design we feel really good about into a a nice book? For the most part everything is done design-wise at 1.4. The next the, the next version really is just for edits and typo fixes. We still ha- we will still be hiring like a final editor to fix all the text and like the ordering of the text and stuff like that, but for the most part, design wise, we're done. We are set. Uh, if you buy the game right now on itch, you will be getting much of the same experience. Really, it hasn't really changed ever since first dis- first edition came out. People love the kinetic feel of dice pools. People love. The, how easy it is to just count sixes when you roll your dice. People love yeah the thunderbolts and the and the um, the messy drama the and messy interpersonal drama, relationships. The the hidden the, agendas the, they yeah. have to like carry out. The know. the relatively simple narrative system that is pretty still pretty robust because it can handle almost any dramatic thing you might want to do. So yeah. And then and then my question is so let's like you know flash forward. Uh, two, three months from now, or, or like two months from now, uh, and in, in this future, you've blown your Kickstarter out of the water. It's, it, you, you've hit all your, all your dream goals and all your stretch goals, all, you know, all, all the stuff. What is, what is the future for Gubat Banwa? Like, what are your dreams and hopes and aspirations for this game? Kind of like long-term, like long past this is a, when this is a physical book. What do you hope to see out of this game? When Lux had me, like, do the basically the art direction and the research for like the five major factions, right? Like there was so much material there that we want to get into, but we didn't have like, you know, we didn't have the space to. So like we built the setting and we want to like get deeper into it. Like not necessarily expand it, but what's there is already substantial and we want to like dig into it more, like see what else we can do with it. Like certain mechanics, like, like we had this, we all we already had this goal. Each faction set, like each of the nations you play in, is already a different genre of fiction, right? Not just like you have an, a place that's very conducive to like intrigue or like. There's also a setting for like more um, sweeping, like pirate epics, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Like there's things that we want to get into that we've already laid the groundwork for. So I would love to like get into that. On my end, Gubat uh, Banwa, I I am, <laughs> I have a hyper fixation on Southeast Asia, Southeast Asian cultures. It's it's my lived experience, um, and it's something that uh, I feel is very often taken for granted, even within Southeast Asia itself, because of you know very colonial mentality stuff like that. 
So I actually ha- do have a lot of plans for Gubat Banwa. We do want to do, you know, large like mechanical supplements for it. Like we want, uh, right now I'm writing a very uh, drama-based supplement that focuses on expanding the Mess. non-combat role-playing <laughs> stuff, right? You get like, mm. you know, um, you get like, like dramatic triggers and stuff like that. Anyone that loves like the drama aspect of Gubat Banu, they can do that even more. I've been playing Crusader Kings recently, so that's 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 been feeding a lot of my of of my uh, mechanics thinking. There's gonna be like faction faction mechanics and stuff like that in in an, in, the, in that upcoming supplement, so that katunganan that reach really high levels can play as rajas and datus of their own right, like kings and queens on their own right, stuff like that. But that's just the beginning, you know. We want to, we do want to dig deeper to each of the mahamandalas. We want to create supplements or zines for the lesser known mandalas that yeah. are also the other cultures of the Philippines. I've gotten uh, writers for like Sinuku, which is like a very Kapampangan inspired culture, for Ibalnong, which is a Bicol inspired culture. Yeah, like we want everyone to have their time in the yeah. sun. Yeah, we, we I even have like. Thai writers that might want to do a Thai-inspired empire, an Indonesian-inspired kingdom. Uh, we really want, like, we we really want to to revel in these cultures that we we really do love that that our grandparents love, you know, talking to us about, uh, which which a lot of people do take for granted these days because of increasing, you know, soft power of other cultures. So I really, yeah, that's 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 the major goal for Gubat Banu. Whatever else happens while we're on that path, we'll take it yeah, <laughs> as, been... the, as the Buddha intends. Um, so, you know, if, if we get like a huge break or something and, and we get like a video game potentially for Gubat Banwa that's like a tactics RPG, we'd absolutely love that. Yeah, it's, n- it's never been a dull moment working on this thing. Uh, yeah. Like it just, it's, it's been wild. To say the least, we've so. had we've had hardware hardware failures like five times now. <laughs> yeah, so. some oh, files no. art had to be retrieved. Lots the of hard files way. lost. So it was a it, this oh, is a no. very very exciting project, if not a bit <laughs> nerve wracking, nerve wracking, and you know we are so excited to to see this go to Kickstarter. I feel like. I mean, I feel like people are going to respond to it. They've they've already responded to it in the digital form. I can't wait to see it be a book. So, Wax and Dill, our final question for every episode of the podcast is, what are you each bringing to the table? This might be a person, a game, a book, a show, a resource, something within tabletop, something not within tabletop that you would want to recommend to our audience uh, right now. I recently came across like this book by this artist I really like, and it was like... When we, when I was making Gubat Banu, it was like it's quite be- it was quite serendipitous to come across it. Um, it's called uh, Alendal. I don't know if you all heard of it. It's by it's all it's a more historical. Uh, it's a historical fiction. It's it's art is beautiful. It's by Alex Nino, one of the legends of Filipino comics. He's worked on heavy metal, and uh, he did concept art for Mulan. It's a beautiful book, and it's written by. A filmmaker, Jay Ignacio, who also practices Filipino martial arts, and I got to meet him. And apart from our our like shared interests, like I think it's a sweeping epic and a beautiful book, and possibly the last work of the final work of Alex Nino, like in terms of comics. It's gonna be his last book, so 
I always have it nearby, like when I'm working on Gubat Bano. It's so, so yeah. Alendal by uh, Jay Ignacio and Alex Nino. Love that. So, uh, on my end, I think I have. Uh, can I can I give like two related <laughs> things instead? Yeah, why not? Uh, two related books. One is fiction. One is nonfiction. One is one. The fiction one is Shri uh, Margosa Tubig and Shri Bishaya by Roman Mazones. They are both uh, works. They're both epic fantasy novels of like of Filipino fantasy written by Roman Mazones, who wrote it in Hiligaynon, which is the Ilonggo uh, language. Ilo- Ilo language. Uh, he wrote, he serialized it first and then collated into a into a novel and then translated into English. It's kind of hard to find yeah, overseas, but luck. but you can find it in in, the, in, <laughs> in in Manila. If there if if there's anyone listening that's from Manila, you can find it in the Ateneo shop. It's really good. If if for example, Gygax was inspired by by uh, uh, Mauser mm. and and Conan the Barbarian. Ramon Mazones says, uh, Margot Sotubig and Tribishaya are the ones that inspired me uh, when it comes to like fantasizing uh, you know, Southeast Asian cultures. And then I guess the most important book that I've read so far uh, for Gubat Banwa that will probably help everyone else sort of reorient their ideas on culture and like anthropology itself is uh, Ancient Southeast Asia by Mixik and Go. It's a Singaporean-headed uh, book that tackles almost everything about uh, classical Southeast Asia from from pre-classical to post-classical Southeast Asia and even to early modern, which is the colonial period already. Um, The most important takeaway I got there is just how much alike and shared our cultures are to the point that it's kind of uh, disingenuous to separate our nations apart because the main reason why our nations are are bordered in such a way is because of the partitioning of the colonial powers that were here, right? Indonesia is only in that way because of the Dutch. The Philippines is only like this because of the Spanish. Uh, the Malaysians are only like this because of the British. <laughs> Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia are only like that because of the, of the French. So it was really eye-opening to me and helped reorient a lot of my preconceptions about nations even in itself, about the cultures that arise from us, it makes the reader focus on the people themselves instead of imagined cultures and imagined histories. Um, and I think it's really beautiful in a kind of way, really like um, makes Southeast Asian culture easier to understand and to grow because it's such a complex idea. Three great recommendations. We will link all of those in the show notes for people to check out. So uh, thank you so much, Wax and Dill, for coming on the show. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can find you? You can find us on playgubatbanwa.com. <laughs> yeah, we have. Uh, on Twitter, we're on playgubatbanwa. And we also have www.gubatbanwa.com. Uh, Dylan, you can find at Dills Briones yeah. on, 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 on Twitter. Yeah. And then you can find me as Makapatag anywhere. And again, the Gubat Banwa Kickstarter launches October 10th. Check out the pre-save link in the description of this episode. And if you want more gaming content from us, check out the 20-sided newsletter and the many-sided media Discord. Those will both be linked in the show notes as well. Please rate, review, and follow Talk of the Table wherever you get your podcasts. Really helps us out and makes us feel good. And that's what the table is talking about. Thanks so much, Waxendell. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.
If you're hearing this, that means you listen to every last second of this episode. If you're not caught up yet, that's great because then there's plenty more to listen to. But if you are caught up and you simply can't wait for the next episode, then you should head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and become a member of the Dice Pool. For just a few bucks a month, you'll get cast talkbacks, original games, and a full-length bonus actual play each and every month. As of the end of 2023, there is already over 20 hours of bonus audio, plus a whole bunch of other goodies to enjoy. So head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump into the dice pool. We'll see you there.